Welcome to the Surgery Talks Podcasts. I'm Afshin Alijani, a consultant gastrointestinal surgeon with a passion for educating the next generation of surgeons. In this first episode, I have the privilege of talking to Mr. Pradeep Patel, a consultant upper GI surgeon based at Nine Wells Hospital, Dundee, Scotland. I will be asking him about the management of acute cholecystitis. Uh, would you mind just describing your typical patient that might come in that might uh, make you think that this patient has acute cholecystitis? A typical patient with cholecystitis will usually be an adult, can be a male or a female, uh, usually after their 30s, who will come in with sudden onset of upper abdominal pain, usually uh, more uh, lateralizing to the right side and radiating to the back. Uh, this will be constant in nature and uh, Will, they will probably have a temperature and they're usually in hospital within 24 hours of their starting. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes the patients uh, come in um, having been a little bit unwell and in pain for a, a few days. Uh, but as you say, they tend to be coming in eventually. And for me, that's how I usually tell the difference between biliary colic and acute cholecystitis. Because a pain that has lasted for certainly more than 24 hours is unlikely to be biliary colic. Is that, would, would, you, would you say that's uh, you know, a fair yes. assessment of Yes. You know, so, a constant uh, pain that has not waned off mm-hmm. and come back and yeah. has been there for more than 24 hours yes. yeah, is unlikely to be biliary colic. Yeah. And these patients often have a little bit of temperature. Yes. And, and, and what about clinical examination? How would you approach that patients from a clinical point of view on an abdominal examination? Yeah, I think generally, I think we're looking at see if they've got jaundice. And more importantly, from a general examination, what their pulse rate, what their respiratory rate is, and of course, if they've got a temperature. From an abdominal examination point of view, these people can fall into about three groups. Mm-hmm. One group, there's really nothing much to see on inspection, okay. but on examination, they tender specifically in the right upper quadrant. Mm-hmm. And if it's not clear, the tenderness will become obvious when they take a deep breath in, yes. as the gallbladder on the liver comes down and touches your finger. Yes. Okay. This is called the classical Murphy sign. Yeah. Uh, this is one group. The other group is you just look at them and you know that they're sore and all you have to do is put your hand in the right of the quadrant and he or she will jump. The third group is the obvious group where you've got a tense, distended bladder that is so easily palpable. And in an elderly man or woman, you can actually see this. Uh, so they fall into these three groups yeah. uh, most of the time. And the kind of things that you look for on sort of uh, routine blood tests? In the routine full blood count, mm-hmm. I would expect to see an elevated white cell count mm-hmm. okay, uh, with, of course, a neutrophilia. Yeah. Uh, in the UNEs, I think the CRP will usually be up yeah. unless they've come in very early to hospital. Uh, it's usually up and it's in the hundreds. The moment the CRP is in the two, three hundreds, you start to worry. You need to yes. be really quick in managing. And with an inflamed gallbladder, with mm. the stone impacted in it, it sometimes pushes against the biliary system. Yes. And you might have slightly deranged liver function, to mainly a raised alkaline phosphatase yes. and, al- and al- an alanine aminotransferase. But yes. the bilirubin is usually not grossly uh, abnormal. Yeah, so if the patient comes uh, with a, quite a raised bilirubin or obviously jaundice, then you kind of worry about perhaps uh, a, yes. a bile duct stone. Or yeah. you're looking at so much compression of the biliary system, yes. you start to worry about emergencies. First line investigation will be what, an ultrasound scan? Yes. And what are the kind of things that you will be looking for in an ultrasound scan? Uh, you're, you're looking to confirm that the patient has got calculus uh, disease, that means he or she's got cold stones. Mm-hmm. Second thing, an ultrasound scan might even show you an impacted stone in the Hartman's pouch, which is quite classical of cholecystitis, 
but the clenching diagnosis to say this is cholecystitis yeah. is a thick gallbladder wall yes. with some pericholecystic fluid. Yes. But the ultrasound scan is very good at picking up the thickness of the gallbladder walls. Anything that is more than three millimeters, yeah. uh, and it can go up to a centimeter many times, yeah. is diagnostic of acute cholecystitis. In, uh, especially in the obese patients, uh, sometimes ultrasound scan can be quite difficult uh, because of the obesity or overlying gas uh, in the colon. Um, and those are the patients that, you know, if it's not possible to get an ultrasound scan, an MRI scan or even a CT scan might be very useful. Yeah. I think in an acute condition, mm. I, would, I would tend to do a CT scan next. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but the yeah. sensitivity of the ultrasound scan to pick acute cholecystitis, I think, is nearly 90 to 95%. Okay. But there will be, of course, about 5 to 10% of people yes. where the ultrasound scan is not clear That's for various reasons. In which case, I would look at a CT scan. Uh, initially, yeah. and a, a CT scan is usually, uh, although it might not show stones for you, because mm -hmm. that is shown on the ultrasound, well clench the cholecystitis. It will show you a thick wall gallbladder, yeah. it will show you pericholecystic fluid, mm -hmm. it will show you the fluid tracking in the hepatorenal space, yes. sometimes even along the paracolic gutter. Yes. And the CT scan will also show you if there has been complications of the cholecystitis, like a pericholecystic abscess or intrahepatic extension of the abscess. So it gives me uh, more information than an ultrasound scan would do uh, routinely. Okay. Uh, what is your routine for treatment of somebody with acute cholecystitis? What are the factors that come into play? I think in general, uh, management of acute cholecystitis, my way of managing these people has changed over the last 10 years. I now treat all of them as I would, as I would treat an acute appendicitis. Okay, that's interesting. Again, for me, they are a priority in managing, mm -hmm. but coming to the specific question you've asked, uh, the important thing is, of course, patients' uh, general history and mm -hmm. their uh, medical comorbidities. Mm -hmm. That will influence how I take things and how quickly I manage these patients. Second, I think any sort of severity is nowadays, or at least according to the Tokyo guidelines, if you look at it, uh, uh, that was re- uh, done in 2018, mm -hmm. you're looking at organ dysfunction as an indicator of sepsis or severity of acute cholecystitis. So if they have an organ dysfunction of any sort, starting from the respiratory system, cardiovascular system, uh, hematological system, GI system, or from uh, the renal system, then I would treat them as quite severe and uh, want to interfere to make these systems come back uh, back to normal as soon as possible. Yeah. So again, an initial kind of resuscitation of the patient with antibiotics early, yes. uh, fluid resuscitation and oxygen. Yes. And then you perhaps you need to think about in severe sepsis, should this patient be transferred to a high dependency unit yes. or intensive care unit as required. But the critical thing is the control of the source of sepsis. Yes. Uh, so at what situation would you consider a... Um, a, a percutaneous drainage of the gallbladder. Again, I'm going to try and compare this to uh, uh, an acute appendicitis. If an appendicitis can be operated on, it should be operated on surgically. The only time I would consider draining an appendicular abscess is if the patient is not fit enough or there's a complex mass that you don't want to get into, uh, in which case I would consider radiological drainage. Similarly, in an acute cholecystitis, if at all possible, and if the patient is fit enough to have an operation, the best option uh, for that patient is to have an acute cholecystectomy or a drainage of the uh, inflamed gallbladder and a subtotal cholecystectomy. Mm -hmm. I would reserve uh, 
percutaneous drainage, drainage for the really, really unwell, significant comorbidities patient who has got multiple organ failure, in which case he or she is probably not going to tolerate a general anesthetic. Um, that's interesting because we, here we kind of differ slightly in our approaches, uh, as you probably know, yes. that I'll probably have a slightly lower threshold for uh, putting a perk drain uh, into these gallbladders. And the situation that I would do that is um, a, a kind of a typical patient who might come in with, say, CRP of, say, 400, um, and ultrasound scan reveals a, a distended, thickened gallbladder, and the patient is grossly septic, perhaps frail and elderly. Um, and uh, these patients, uh, rather than taking them to theatre urgently, I would perk drain them as a source control initially with antibiotics and fluids and oxygen. And then if required, then at a later date, uh, maybe even a number of weeks later, they might come back uh, for an, uh, a semi-elective cholecystectomy. But I can understand the logistical problems of that. And obviously, I also understand the advantage of a definitive cholecystectomy as compared to the cholecystostomy uh, as a preferred option. I agree with you. I mm. think both of these have got a very clear role in managing certain groups of patients, and both of them are probably uh, safe ways of managing the patient. But like you rightly said, if you do do a percutaneous cholecystrainage, uh, uh, these people have to be looked after, mm. and they should have a definitive plan for their cholecystectomy if, again, their medical condition permits it. Yeah. If not, the presence of long-term percutaneous uh, drainage of the gallbladder comes with significant morbidity. Yes. And uh, 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 that should be taken into consideration in the initial decision-making. Yeah. Um, certainly also the, the experience of the surgeon in dealing with difficult gallbladders is also a consideration. So, if, say, if you have a male patient uh, ultrasound scan reveals a perhaps a shrunken gallbladder, thickened gallbladder, and if you've say done a CT scan that shows uh, a lot of inflammatory changes uh, with involvement of say duodenum or colon, uh, then you are expecting a very difficult procedure intraoperatively. What are your thoughts about that? I completely agree. Mm -hmm. I think an acute cholecystectomy mm -hmm. uh, should be uh, in the realm of a specialist gallbladder surgeon. Mm -hmm. uh, this should not be attempted routinely by a general surgeon. Uh, yeah. And it should, we should have a system in place in your hospital or in your practice where these operations are only done by a select group of uh, surgeons who have, who have a dedicated interest in managing acute cholecystitis. The, the, the other question is the timing of the cholecystectomy. So first of all, when does the timer start? Is that the time of the presentation or the, when the symptoms have started? So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. When is it that you might not take a patient to theatre uh, yes, yeah, beyond is, a certain time? Yeah, I think this is interesting. Uh, the timing should start from the onset of symptoms mm -hmm. of the patient. Mm -hmm. So I think that should be made very clear in our clinical history mm -hmm. and documentation and not when the patient presents to hospital. Like you rightly mentioned earlier, some patients will pr probably present three to four days after onset of symptoms. So I think the timing should start from the date or the time of onset of symptoms. And say if, if a patient uh, comes in obviously the earlier and you catch the patient, uh, the earlier the better and it gets quickly investigated yes. and the diagnosis is made and the patient is fit for surgery, the earlier you operate, the better. Would that, yes. would that ser fair I, to say? I agree. But, but is, there any time, is there any time that you might say, look, this is now too late? Yes. Now, 
the earlier to operate is better is has been uh, demonstrated very well by Marcus Pickler's paper on his uh, largest randomized control trial for this, and it says less than 24 hours mm -hmm. from onset of symptoms. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes difficult to achieve that okay, in uh, in uh, various uh, uh, different uh, hospital conditions in the world. But if you can, the earlier the better. Okay. Now the big question comes is when is the optimal time? Yes. Uh, yeah, probably if you catch the patient on, on time. The acute edematous phase of cholecystitis lasts for 48 hours. Yep. Then you've got the uh, necrotic phase, which lasts for another 72 hours. So up to five days is probably optimal from the onset of symptoms. Okay. After that, it starts to become a bit gray. Mm -hmm. okay. But if you look into literature, I think a couple of suggestions are some people go up to seven days. But what is clear, I think, out there in the literature is not to attempt an acute cholecystectomy after a week of onset of symptoms. Okay. So I would push it probably up to seven days. And if not, if patient has got better, then they can come in for an acute uh, electrocholecystectomy. But if they are not, this might be a candidate that I would consider for getting a cholecystectomy.